Hey everybody, welcome to the Weekly Review with Roman. Today it's Friday, January 29th, recording at home today as there's a power outage at Mutiny Radio. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, so yeah, we're broadcasting out of uh, San Francisco, which is on Ramatouche Ohlone land. And for more information, please go to native-land.ca. And also for more information, you can check out our webpage at weeklyrev.org. And there is a land acknowledgement tab, and there we have a lot of resources as well. So starting off the show, I'm going to share an interview that I did back in December with Alex Hanna and Malika Ahmed, and that'll go a little bit more than an hour. And after that, we've got some more music and other information for you. So thanks again so much for tuning in. And again, for more information, you can also check out weeklyrev.org. And uh, here we go. Yeah, well, thanks so much for joining us here. Uh, if you'd like to introduce yourselves. Sure, I'm Alex Hanna. I'm a senior research scientist on the ethical AI team at Google. 
Okay, uh, my name is Malia Ahmed. I am a linguist and I was on the show a year ago and I am in the same position, which is to say, if anybody's listening, please hire me. <laughs> yes, indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Love it. Well, it's nice to be talking with the, with the two of you. And um, one of the, I guess the, the main thing we'll be talking about today is uh, content moderation. And thankfully, um, there's a video that was uh, shared that the two of you put together that um, I would recommend that folks check out. And I learned a lot from it. So we'll be providing a, a link to that um, on our, our website, which folks can find at weeklyrev.org. And it's called 100 Lines in the Sand. So we'll be providing information about that. And I thought we could start off by perhaps talking about the, um, whoever would like to go first, uh, just about talking about what got you involved with content moderation or what made you interested in learning more about it. Okay, so um, what got us started in content moderation is that for a period of about seven months, I worked as a content moderator and um, Alex, she works in like AI ethics and this, um, the fields have recently had quite a bit of overlap. Um, yes, Alex was recently requested to come on to do a keynote for this workshop on online abuse and harms. And she very kindly was like, Maliha, how about you join me? And, and I did. And that's how we got into, <laughs> that's how we made this keynote. But like the, yeah, and before that, I mean, we had both been interested in aspects of content moderation, but I would say this keynote kind of like honed us in on the topic in a different way um, that it hadn't in our personal research or work. Because, you know, after working in content moderation, I was okay with never touching it again. <laughs> I can understand. It's, I would imagine, I mean, I, I don't have firsthand experience, but from talking with folks who have done that work, it just seems so difficult. I feel difficult is not even a, a correct word to really fully grasp all of it but it just sounds like very grueling um and emotionally charged work yes <laughs> these are good words for it. <laughs> you captured the essence yeah i think and I, I think thinking about it too is you know i i had become friends with maliha at that time and um it was kind of fascinating hearing about it from the quote-unquote ai ethics space um I use AI ethics in like kind of a tongue-in-cheek <laughs> manner right now. Um, and as, actually, as someone also should always be tongue-in-cheek about anybody that calls themselves an AI ethicist. Um, but that's, we can touch on that later. Um, and I think also because sort of in a parallel work that I've, I've been doing um, in my current position, the things that I look at are around the um, training data that goes into AI and machine learning mm. and understanding kind of like where they come from. Right now, the people that use them sort of just grab them for wherever and then they put them through some kind of like annotation process. Um, and that data annotation work looks a lot like content moderation work um, and sort of how the organizations are structured, like how they outsource it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, and this is something I think to kind of realize more and more talking to Maliha. And so, um, yeah, so I'm doing that work, you know, inspired us to sort of do this talk and, and, and to really kind of focus on some key points and takeaways for 
what folks should understand about content moderation work and um, kind of the dimensions of policy and, and how it could be different. Yeah, there was certainly quite a lot that I, I learned in the video, certainly, and in terms of like the, the outsourcing and the, the hierarchy, it seems, which seems to unfortunately be a part of so many different business models as well, where the folks at the top who are making the decisions have no idea what actually goes into doing the work and creating the product. And then when they're held to account for the uh, reactions and the, um, from what the uh, result of what happens, they end up having no no skin no in the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no real accountability. They're able to just push off the consequences. Um, yeah, so, okay, I think it's important for us to touch on what happened this week that uh, we're kind of, like, coming from. So mm -hmm. Alex's boss, or ex-boss, Tamit Jimbrew, uh, just got fired from Google uh, oh. over some absolute bullshit reasons. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and so, I mean, what happened, and this is this is sort of the take on <laughs> AI, I think. Um, it, it, but I mean, uh, just to give you background, I mean, what what Tanit had um, said to me was my was my manager, as um, as Millie has had said, and she's best known. She's a refugee from Eritrea, um, mm -hmm. and you know has in in she's known for many different things in the, in this space. One of the things that I think she's most known for is this paper in two thousand eighteen that was published with Joy Bulamwini called Gender Shades, which show that facial recognition works really much more poorly for um, black women. And so they um, had shown that it has like these very different rates, error rates. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so, and that has provided some kind of entree into, you know, the work around facial recognition bands um, in San Francisco, in Oakland, in Somerville, in Boston, and has gotten a conversation about, you know, nationwide facial recognition bans. Yeah, so uh, her work has, like, direct implications on our personal lives, and mm -hmm. uh, she, like, the way that she got fired, and, like, a lot of the ways that um, blame got placed on her for things that weren't in her control or weren't her fault, um, like, I mean, we saw a lot of parallels to, um, to our keynote. Um, one of the things that she got um, sort of in trouble for was that she had sent out this letter to um, a list of like women and allies within Google. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, if you haven't read the letter, it's a really good letter. And one of the things that she says in it that really re um, resounded with me was um, she told people that they should stop doing diversity, equity and inclusion work that the only way forward for companies to be held accountable is ex through external, um, yeah, external pressures. And that's something we mm. can cover, you know, uh, with regards to like YouTube and Facebook, like the only pressure that they actually listen to is external. Um, we strongly advocate like creating those external pressures in some ways, like through red, like regulating agencies and stuff. And the other thing that was sort of like the thing that they also used as a kind of a cudgel was she published this paper on um, what were called large language models. So these are models, these are AI models that basically ingest a huge amount of text data 
and then they generate like they generate text or they change text. So you might have seen some stuff on the internet where like it just is like it sort of generates fake text. Um, but it's like trained on a bunch of data. You don't really know where it came from, like Reddit and like Wikipedia. Like Reddit's a trash fire, and like Wikipedia is oh, mostly but like data yeah. that's just not curated at all. Basically, yeah, it's mostly it, it's mostly written by men, and they also pointed out the environmental cost of these models training these models, and mm -hmm. so this has been, which is stuff that they're they're not they were actually weren't the first people that wrote about this. There's actually been some people that wrote about this before, and so kind of those two things, kind of the initial sort of like the one two this is sort of what they pinned pinned her firing on and and then sort of the jeff dean the head of research at google has just been sort of gaslighting us the entire time about one two oh. they had a meeting today that they invited uh all the whole black googler network and then they like found a black vp who would like teach like who would like talk to the black googler network and they have these, they use this like very like language of healing. It was really like being gaslit. And it's like uh, they're saying they didn't do anything wrong. So what are we yeah. healing from, guys? <laughs> yeah. So, oh. yeah, exactly. So they were, and oh. even the language around like, oh, we need to, you know, there's like, a, yeah, I don't want to say too much because, you know, they, they already sort of basically threatened us <laughs> um, right, but with, if, with other uh, stuff. So like yeah. It, yeah, basically like it's just sort of like continual gaslighting. Um, yeah, and 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 um, of um, of like black people in Google, black women, and so um, yeah. So it's it's so oh and 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 so the way that it actually went down is I got an email at like ten thirty four on December second with my manager's manager's manager, VP. This is 10.34 p.m. <laughs> yeah, 10.34 p.m. at night, uh, Eastern, Eastern time. I'm in, I'm in Ohio right now, visiting my family. Mm. And they, um, you know, the VP said, um, your boss has tendered her resignation. Um, you know, you, um, like, please continue doing your strong work or whatever. And so I thought, oh, she's just, you know, okay like i understand it there's a lot of bullshit here <laughs> i thought yeah. about quitting a lot and then um and then i texted her and she's like oh i didn't resign and so like so it's complete different <sighs> things and there's i mean if you want to go to the there's a whole kind of faq on what happened um that you can find if you just google like medium google walkout um or if you can put that in show notes or something and there's a petition yeah. can um, you please but, just repeat that yeah, Google, um, Google Medium Walkout. Google Medium Walkout and look at the account and you'll find the account that's Google googlewalkout.medium.com. And okay. Um, okay. Yeah. And like the first article, um, they're kind of on like setting the record the I mean the first two setting the record straight and then standing with Dr. Tanit Jabru kind of lays out what happened. And mm. so, you know, right now, I mean we have huge support in this since like we launched this petition, it has 2,200 public Googlers signing. It actually has, or, or 2,200, not public Googlers, but 2,200 Googlers signing and over 3,000 people in industry. It's actually, right now it's like 3,500 in industry. In oh, wow. So this 
petition already has about 6,000 signatures. Um, Absolute outpouring of support, which was so heartening to see. Yeah, so it's been really heartening to see the solidarity. Um, I mean, I think like kind of goes further. I mean, in conversations, just to bring it back to the original conversation about the needs for independent research around things mm-hmm. like content moderation and technology, um, the need for um, the need for kind of like academic freedom, but also the fact that like these companies just have too much power, and you know, like. <laughs> just uh in, in any kind of effort and uh sorry. <laughs> i'm sorry for listeners my cat anna just walked into the shop <laughs> and maliha maliha is, is at my house right now so <laughs> and sorry i got very excited to see um, baby girl <laughs> she just she woke up and she was um. like ah! <laughs> sorry uh, i'm sorry i have a couple over here who are sleeping so i'm sure if and when they wake up and make an appearance i will also make a excited gesture i can't wait um (laughs) sorry that was that was completely you know what we can cut out the audio it's okay oh my god oh no it's fine it'll be just yeah i just kind of usually play it through yeah Oh, and, uh... but yes yeah, so the way that we were kind of tying this back to the original is uh in reference to a lack of corporate accountability um as well mm-hmm. as the fact that um like we see a lot of parallels between the two um because um they created a distance between themselves and to meet uh in a in a not dissimilar way to the way that higher ups like principals and agents right like um the way that Sundar Pichai creates distance between himself and like YouTube content moderators, right? Like you see the mm-hmm. parallels, but the difference is that Tamit is a uh, very high profile. She is famous worldwide. Um, mm. She's got a lot of outspoken support while as like generally moderators don't have that. This was something that Tamit was talking about as well on her Twitter uh, when it's like, okay, well, here's this woman with like demonstrated um like long history of being an absolute genius. Um, and this is how she gets treated, right? Um, how do people get treated when they do not have her her stature, her publicly known? Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah, that was another reason that we were like, oh, okay, it looks like content moderation is something important to look at. Because, um, th- so we talked about outsourcing to other com- countries, but another thing is like, have like I worked through two different companies that uh, until I worked for like the company in question so like YouTube um contracted their work out to Accenture and then Accenture contracted their subcontracted their work out to another company and that's the company that I worked for mm-hmm. and it was just it was a way of creating abs- like just complete deniability yeah yeah, and I mean, there's Ugh. there's like different reasons why companies at least sort of say they, they do that. I mean, you know, the kind of rationale tends to be on like, you know, this sort of language that management loves to use on quote unquote flexibility, um, being able to like hire and be flexible in different kind of workforces. Um, they also try to shunt it to the degree, uh, something around scale and scaling. Basically, you mm-hmm. try to, you have to hire out all these people who are sort of local to the to the context to do this, but that's actually not really why they do that. I mean, they do it because 
it's cheap labor. I mean, it's a sort of in, in they do right. it because of economics. They also do it because of legal liability. Yeah. Um, and right. so, and and you would actually, having to provide benefits. Yeah, and if you were actually, if you were actually, like, concerned about like getting it right in these different locations, it would actually, you would actually do a few different things, right? You would actually bring some of it in house um, to actually be connected with the quality of that. You would also have these offices in many more different locations. Um, I work right now, actually, someone that Tanit was going to work with. And he just came to Google for a year as a visiting researcher. Was um, a researcher named um, uh, El Mahdi, and um, I forget his surname. And his um, let me let me search it real quick on on Twitter. <laughs> his name is uh, yeah El Mahdi El Mahamdi, and and he uh, you know one re one reason you know something he's focused a lot on has been on how there's such a disproportionate kind of enforcement of moderation on um, in Twitter and YouTube. And you have to know a bit about like a UAE and like in, in like Moroccan politics and like kind of regional politics. Mm. And, you know, I mean, any, any kind of like person in, who has versed in, in, the, in like Middle East could tell you these things in kind of regional politics. And um you know, these are things which actually get quite ignored and there's not enough linguistic competence on this. Um, and so- Linguistic what? Competence, like people mm. don't actually speak the languages in which this like harassment and abuse mm. is happening. Um, you also, we also saw <sighs> this, we also saw this in, uh, there's a, a data scientist from Facebook that just posted a thing um, a couple of months ago. and was talking about these like actions that were happening and all this abuse that was happening in places in, in different places um, in different places that were like in the global south and um, it was basically like up to her to like find these things um, and you know one person who's overworked and like overstressed on what this is happening but they don't actually care about the context or have enough competent people doing what it's doing so I mean that's that's the same thing that's happening there's the kind of excuses that would be used for this outsourcing are pretty shallow. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, 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 you know, this kind of analysis that I think has to do with how much money it costs, the political economy of it, as well as um, kind of like the distance that they can do from a liability uh, perspective. Mm. It reminds me of about maybe right before the election in November, um, I talked with a couple of drivers who were affiliated with uh, folks voting against uh, no on Prop 22, or voting, can you hear me? Okay. And uh, it just sounds like so similar to like these big companies like Uber and Lyft who would do everything they could in order, like including rewriting or creating legislature that would ensure that their workers did not have Basic rights. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, one of the things Alex was actually working on uh, voter outreach for that like um, phone banking, and one of the things mm. that we found out is uh, is that apparently in order to keep working for some of these companies, um, like if you're an Instacart driver or whatever, you would have to press like yes, I support it in order to keep yeah. working. And then they would yeah. use that as actual data instead. It, it's coerced. Such like, bullshit. 
It's, it's yeah, horrendous. It's like disgusting. for a lot of people, this is just their livelihood. Like, what are they gonna do? Say no and then starve? Yeah, yeah. It's this is ugh. like yeah. This is also I feel like this is also kind of the backlash that uh, content moderators receive. Like, mm. I'm minorly concerned because um, I I think that everything I'm saying about YouTube is protected. Uh, but I did sign an NDA when I was with them. <laughs> I think I couldn't find it, but I must have, right? Because like they don't make you watch child porn without first making you sign an NDA. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh. um, but like this. Oh no, it's like yeah. And oh. then like there's also like here's Alex and like she's trying to be defensive of her boss, but that necessarily involves shitting on Google. Um, because Google did a shitty thing here. And what that means here is yeah. that here's Alex and she's like, okay, I'm going to defend my boss. But then also like, oh, well, what if, what if I do it and I'm also afraid of getting fired? Of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, I feel like they have these actions in order to try to scare other people. Like, oh, we're going to, if this one person speaks up to us, then we're going to ask them to leave. And then in a way it would just... Yeah, it's awful. I also wonder, I remember like when Google started, I thought its tagline was don't be evil. And I'm wondering what happened. They removed they it. Just, they did, yeah, they just couldn't live with themselves anymore, I guess. They were like- I, Yeah, when I was working at YouTube, my, um, like they have Google umbrellas that you could borrow. Um, and uh, it's, it's, so it's an umbrella and then around the whole circle, it says, don't be evil, don't be evil. Um, and uh, my wellness coach was so disturbed. Wellness coach, first of all, what a fucking joke is a wellness coach. Anyway, but my wellness coach uh, was like disturbed by it because it's so ominous and like, don't be evil. It just, it's, there's something about it that's off putting if you don't know that this is like, you know, from 2005 or whatever. Um, yeah. But the thing is, by then they'd already removed it. So, like, it was. And I don't know. And his reaction when I told him, yeah, his reaction when I told him that, oh, yeah, that's not their like slogan anymore. I mean, also like in the uh, <laughs> in the uh, 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 it sounds it it goes from a different mood. I mean, I don't know which mood it is because you are the linguist and not me, but it becomes um, it becomes um, a, a, a more from a code to a to an imperative to the like content moderators now the mm. content moderators are being told like not to be evil rather than like it being kind of like a code of conduct sort of thing i don't understand what you mean i meant like you know like one of those things there, there's a value statement in which the owners are saying don't be evil but then if there's just like an ominous umbrella that's like don't be evil <laughs> you know what i'm saying <laughs> A literally ominous umbrella. <laughs> yeah, the ominous umbrella that says "Don't be evil, Maliha," uh, which in this case, like, <laughs> what does that even mean? Like, they were which... supposed to say it to themselves. They're Why saying, are they telling us? They should have told. We have no this. power to be evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we try to be it's a lot good, of projecting, actually, I guess. Yeah, when we try to be good, it actually is like a liability on us. Yeah. I mean, we, like, as a content moderator, if I was to be evil, uh, that would be, like, letting through hate speech, you know, like, oh, I see. Which happens anyway, it seems. Which happens like, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, 
yeah, like it's just, it's so, like I'm not on Facebook much. I still have a profile up, but I've been trying to like wean myself. However, I have so many contacts on there that it's really difficult. But I do know that it's like the whole platform itself is evil. And yep. just, it's, yeah, it's, uh. Yeah, and then one I think thing for, that, uh, one thing that I heard about recently in the news is that there is this Russian YouTuber named uh, Stas Rhee or something like that. And he, um, he, basically would abuse his girlfriend for money um and she announced that she was pregnant and in that video um or like not in that same video but um this was not originally uploaded onto youtube it was live streamed elsewhere but the thing that he got paid uh money to do for this particular episode or whatever was that he and a friend stripped her to her underwear and then pushed her out onto the balcony and she had to stay there for a number of minutes but the thing was, it's in Russia, so it's like negative degrees, and um, that's Fahrenheit for our international listeners. And <laughs> yeah, and and when he finally went out and got her, she was not alive anymore. Um, and so it's like <sighs> this is a like snuff film up, and people have like reposted it to YouTube so many times. YouTube is really struggling to take it down, and the like main thing they can say in their defense <sighs> is that at least it wasn't originally uploaded here at least the live occurred somewhere else, which is like, that's nothing, that's not a defense. And then um, one thing that you'll notice is that YouTube's algorithms know enough to put a tag on it that this like, you know, I, what do they say? Like this content may be sensitive for some viewers or something like that. Like mm -hmm. they put an age restriction or something like that on it, but they can't put, like they can't have it automatically be taken down despite the fact that there is a dead body in it like they pull her in and it takes him a long time like he's Ugh. talking to the chat and he's saying oh she seems cold or like you know like oh i don't think she's breathing he's talking to his viewers right this is a level of sociopathy and like i don't know i don't know that much about computer vision and stuff but like i feel like if it can tell that this is sensitive content particularly because the titles are all like this dude kid kills his girlfriend or this girlfriend dies on camera like all the titles are like that and for them to not be able to automatically shut that down that is not a uh, that's not something that they can't control that's something that they're not controlling and mm -hmm. it's like the work's being pushed onto content moderators but for why like this this is something that could be handled yeah like while i was working at youtube um the um the shooting in new zealand when the mm. that subscribed that guy who shot up the two mosques yeah. Uh, yeah like i was working at youtube when that happened and they immediately shunted all of the work onto this one particular team and i worked right across the aisle from them so then that's how i knew that and it, it's like they were all like telling me how to see they were like oh I refuse to watch the video. Like most of them refuse to watch it all the way through. They just like watch enough to be like, oh, okay. So there's like this color carpet, this kind of door, the person looks like this. Okay, we can recognize it immediately. We don't have to wait till people start dying to figure it out. Um, but then the main, the lead of that team, um, he was, he was Muslim. He was Middle Eastern. I forget where he's from, but he made himself watch the whole thing because he felt like he had a responsibility yeah. to. Yeah, that's how I felt too. Like, what a painful thing to do to yourself. But like, that's what some of these <sighs> moderators are coming from. Like, the person who trained me, she was considered like a golden reviewer because um, her accuracy score was what they based. Like, if she made a review and she called 
for instance, uh, one of my one of my skills that they trained me in was telling if someone's a minor or not, or guesstimating if someone's a minor or not with high level of accuracy. So for instance, um, I remember having a video where I couldn't tell if someone was a minor and it was uh, because they looked like a malnourished adult. Mm -hmm. They looked like they could have been a malnourished adult or they could have been a minor who was like also malnourished. But so like if she made the judgment that this person was an adult, then everybody would go with that judgment. She was considered the Mm -hmm. golden one. First of all, on a side note, in my very first week, um, I found out that this lady, who is the golden reviewer, so crucial to this team and this job, she had to work Mm -hmm. a second job as a, like, bartender or waitress or something. Just like, like, the level of disrespect for even those who you are indebted to. Um, but yeah, she was also somebody who was like very strongly affected by child sexual abuse imagery. Um, and so she was, she was also one of those people who, um, would make herself wash him so that you can, so you can figure out like the kinds of advice that she gave us during training was like, like very useful, very upsetting. (laughs) So like one of the things was like, if you turn off the sound, then it looks like you're watching a movie you can take yourself out of the moment and pretend like it's not real or like yeah just stuff like that or like if you're using audio cues to try to figure out if it's a minor or not then you can also shut off the video and just listen to audio and it was like recommended not to do both at the same time stuff like that so it's like Mm -hmm. but she would make herself watch them so she became familiar with them so that she could like do more about them later but like I don't I don't know how much that actually like she definitely wasn't getting paid enough for it. Like she definitely was motivated by the mission of protecting children. But the thing is, yes. she shouldn't have had to work that hard to protect children. Like YouTube had a lot of responsibility and they absolutely like fumbled the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. Oh, I mean, that seems to be like a common occurrence with these large tech companies. And I guess they only get so large for a reason. Yeah, I mean- by being evil (laughs) you know you you have to be you know generating money for the shareholders at whatever cost i mean that's that's the name of the game um and i mean that the kind of you know one of the i know one of the things you asked us earlier on is you know what what kind of um you know where where we kind of got information about this from Mm -hmm. where we um and like part of it's you know Maliha's experience and the experience of our coworkers, and we also were watching some uh, some um, um, talks from some former moderators, um, including. Ooh, tell um, them about the board. Yeah, yeah. So, so for instance, and there was uh, this new group called the Real Facebook Oversight Board, which takes mm. its name from you know this the the Facebook Oversight Board, which is this external board full of kind of lawyers and academics. Um, and um, zero content moderators. Zero content moderators. And they're, they're the ones that kind of, they're supposed to be the, the ones that sort of adjudicate what happens to, um, to uh, you know, to certain cases. And, you know, these folks are folks where, you know, like there are certain kinds of cases that get elevated and, and whatnot. And, 
the thing is that this this like board is supposed to have some sort of external power, but it doesn't really have any power even reported. I remember that they were supposed to have these um these sort of like uh dashboards and laptops that they were supposed to get access to. And mm -hmm. uh, like they, they like couldn't even get, like get the laptops <laughs> like for some reason that <laughs> they couldn't even like for some reason there was like a difficulty of like getting them laptops so it was really bizarre and there was like all these excuses and so this group the real Facebook um, uh, oversight board is kind of a kind of a combination of lawyers and whistleblowers and they I think they're based in the UK and um, you know they've had they've had a few different um, uh, um, events on on YouTube and um, or, or public events and and so one of the one of the people that we we, we quote a lot in the talk is um, Vianna Ferguson and who's a former subject matter expert and content moderator and you know in in that you know it was really amazing to hear her talk because she was talking about sort of like the sort of um, two points and one kind of related to what Malia was just talking about was how content moderation actually even though it's a hard job it, there's ways to make it sustainable you know mm -hmm. and there's actually ways like it's hard but there's ways to actually make it sustainable and that includes like you'd have to dramatically reduce the kind of time moderators are actually working uh you'd have to give them real health care real mental health care instead of these well <laughs> you would have to actually treat them and pay them like real employees by bringing them yes. to the house. And, you know, like Vienna, like, like uh, Maliha, like Maliha's colleagues, like there's a moral commitment to this kind of work that these folks do. They do it because, I mean, they do feel like they're protecting folks from kind of the worst elements of the internet. And yes. You, you also hear this from moderators that, um, that, uh, um, Sarah Roberts, who's one of the first um, scholars to write on commercial content moderation, it's also said in her respondents. I remember one of her respondents has said something like, I feel like this kind of mythical evil eater that's in, um, I think, Celtic uh, mythology. Um, mm. and, and so there's, and there's such a, this moral aspect of it is so, like, folks feel commended to it because they're, like, making the internet kind of, like, livable. Um, but then at the same time, like these companies are not making it livable for these for these people. Um, so, and and just getting back to the "don't be evil" imperative, right? Sure. You know that imperative uh, might be written on these umbrellas, but like, I feel like if your boss is yelling at you like that to "don't be evil" when you're really trying not to be evil, but they don't allow <sighs> you to have the tools of not to not to be evil or to actually do it with in a way that respects your humanity and the kind of moral sensibility that you have. I will say that my boss has never yelled at me. Like my team in particular, uh, I would say that definitely the, like the higher ups kind of knew what was what, like they know this is a trash job. They're like, okay, sure. Like we're gonna look the other way when, because we had a certain amount of uh, so-called wellness time and we were supposed to use it for so-called wellness activities. <laughs> and I have to ask, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but what would what would qualify as a wellness activity? Oh, uh, so our wellness coach, um, our so-called wellness coach, uh, <laughs> our wellness coach would uh, about once an hour or something, 
hold a five minute activity for like not all of them are five minutes but like this is a normal example so like every hour there's five minutes of like going in the wellness corner and doing push-ups or doing you know physical activity or like yoga or meditation or yeah and they had a meditation room that was very very attractive they put it up really nice um yeah and yeah and then we'd go on a couple walks a day um but one thing about the wellness coach is that I always knew that I couldn't necessarily well I didn't know at first but then I knew that you can't really trust them you can't talk to them about uh what stuff is affecting you um Mm -hmm. yeah I had some big stuff happen in my personal life while I was working there and I like I didn't feel safe to talk to them because I knew that they were basically taking notes and if they thought it would affect my work they would like go ahead and you know take it up the line and they you know I remember talking of uh is it called EAP employee assistance program you're supposed to get a certain number of like uh therapy sessions through Google and Mm. I talked like I found out that this was a thing and I was like, I think I could use that. And I talked to my wellness coach and was like, can you get me into that? And he was like, oh, well, you know, I don't really recommend it. And I don't remember the reasoning he gave me. It was something about the fact that it's like, you only get 10 therapy sessions as opposed to finding an outside therapist. And it's like, yeah, but that would fucking help me. Like, are yeah, you joking? Absolutely. It would help way more than a, yeah, yeah. So wellness time, we were given, I think, if I remember correctly, it was like an hour or an hour and a half, an hour and 15 minutes, whatever. We were given this amount of wellness time every day to do wellness activities or take to use as we wanted to. Um, Mm -hmm. And every, and like, you weren't supposed to use them to go take a long lunch, but you could. And I regularly- I mean, if it's your time. I'm saying, right? You'd be able to use that for whatever is wellness for you. (laughs) Yeah, instead of sounds like something you do in elementary school. Yeah, I would much rather go spend an extra thirty minutes to eat a burger. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I eat slow. That's the joke, but um, but not the point. The point is like my uh, my higher ups had a tendency to look the other way and not be like Maliha. Did you take a very long lunch? (laughs) Like they would generally not get on my back for small things like that especially because I made my numbers. I, you know, I did okay at the work and yeah, I was, I was good at the job, even though it made me feel the way it did. And because of that, my managers were definitely, um, a lot. Um, yeah, I never saw them treat other people the, or treat, um, content moderators the way that you hear about in the news, the way that Facebook, um, treats its content moderators and they have like nine minutes of wellness time and like everybody has to go pee at the same time um Uh. yeah yeah or like you have a strict amount of lunch time and then you spend a lot of it just waiting in line to use the microwave or try to use your lunch break to use the bathroom it's like it's just (laughs) uh i did not have those problems at youtube i hate to be like oh well well these are the things that youtube did well because like it doesn't make up for the fa- fact that this is what we had to see. This is how low we were paid to see it. And this is like mm-hmm. what they could have done that they didn't to protect us better yeah. or to make the job more sustainable. Right. I mean, I walked around an angry person for so long. It took such a long time to let go of that. I like, 
I mean, I didn't even realize that it was traumatic until like I was triggered in January when like I was, yeah, I went to go visit my cousins and she just had a baby a couple of years ago and it was my first time meeting this baby. And like, I saw her bathing her kid and my brain was like, oh, okay, I can't be here. And like, I had nightmares that night. Uh, like I did over something so not like normal, mm. right? And it's like, you don't, yeah, I was not paid enough for that. Like, this is not, <laughs> yeah. So, but here's what YouTube did right. They gave us more time. They gave like my particular team, they like our managers would generally look the other way so long as we hit our quotas for the day. And we did not have like 5,000 posts a day to go through. We had to do like, I don't know, uh, last I was there, it was like 400 or something, which is like very doable. Um, yeah. <laughs> so these are the things that make me say, yeah, it uh, a lot of the job is pretty awful and, you know, leaves long lasting effects, but also here's the ways that they did well and they could have done better. Like this is, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, we recently had a Q&A session with other people and it was like, it's really weird to try to tell people, yeah, the job is looking at like, you know, horrible content or hate speech or whatever, it, but it can be made more sustainable. You can make it so it's like, because already some of the things you get desensitized to naturally, just in the course of like, like in a very mundane work way, you get desensitized. So like the fact that, yeah, yeah, it could be made a lot more sustainable. Um, so that these, you know, so-called sin eaters, um, they can do their job and the sin doesn't have to poison them. Yeah. Oh. Thank you for sharing all that. That's that's a lot. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Glad to help. Yeah, yeah. Oh goodness. Okay, let's see what. I mean, the, uh, I mean, just uh, <laughs> just uh, follow, I mean, yeah. I mean, in the kind of talk, I mean, we talk about the sustainability, and I mean, you know, just reiterating the sort of things that, like, you know, the kind of you know, the kind of bringing, bringing workers in-house, I mean, this is sort of like one thing, you know, the kind of like mythical Google, Facebook, whatever tech company benefits that they have that, you know, with slides and silly shit like that, but like actually having mental health support, uh, that, yeah. would actually, that would actually be, um, you know, actually pay people um actually have that kind of insurance um uh you know another thing this is something you know mary gray suggests and i think would also be kind of a, a um a, a good suggestion um mary gray studies crowd workers who do things on kind of like uh amazon mechanical turk and distributed work would be to have like a guild system that kind of like brings people together um, and, and also has like some kind of a floor for, for benefits and also kind of a floor for like where people can share about like which employers are shitty and which employers are going to, mm -hmm. you know, and that being cross-institutional as well, uh, not only within one company, but across multiple companies. Yeah. Um, yeah, and 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 then also like in terms of, we haven't really talked about the policy aspects of this, but even like 
you know, on the on, even on and that on the policy side, having companies share details with themselves is kind of you know new and emerging threats, um, kind of in this space rather than having all these different you know books, uh, you know, code books and instructions and policy that sort of floats around, um, you know, and in a really uneven way. Um, so you know, all of these would improve. Um, the conditions of workers at these companies. Yeah, from what I'm really hearing is that it's just so much of a big labor issue. Yeah. On, on top of everything else, too. Like, there's certain, there's several pieces to it, and that just seems to be an overwhelming aspect to it. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I heard this week, um, in terms of to me, it's uh, Dr. Jabru's. Um, plight uh, is uh, that once there's no more av avenues of escalation, that's when you should consider it whistleblowing and therefore like protected speech. And I mm. think that like talking about the fact that like Facebook is necessarily a worse employer in these ways, like the fact that they're making people come back in during the pandemic, what the fuck Facebook <laughs> like do better. Um, so when you look at, yeah, that kind of stuff, it's it's clear to me that this stuff is not covered by an NDA. There's no way to have um, the employer mediate with you or mm -hmm. is it called arbitration? There's no way to do that, right? There's no, yeah, there's no routes of escalation. There's no way to um, talk to each other and ask like, okay, which employer is least likely to have me be screwed later? Or like the fact that, um, yeah, Facebook is worse, but it pays a little bit more than YouTube. Like that's the kind of stuff that we were like thinking about while we were there. Cause there were people who mm -hmm. switched over um, because they mm. were like, oh, okay. So this is bullshit, but like, maybe it would be better at uh, Facebook for these reasons. Like maybe I would be willing to do it for $5 more an hour. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, I did want to talk a little bit, sorry for the abrupt shift. I did something that was like really um, interesting in the video that I appreciated was the, the segment when, and you've talked about it a little bit here, was just the external pressures and just ways that um, folks, whomever um, is affected by this can push back against the, the actions of the higher ups. And so I thought we could maybe talk a little bit more about that to help provide both um, either folks who work in tech or work without tech, but everyone for the most part uses tech and social media in one way or another. And I think understanding how everyone can help support folks, whether they be content moderators or not, just to, to put pressure on these companies. Uh, if we could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Okay, I mean... So these are like talking about <laughs> solutions. Um, yeah. 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 That's what those are called. Yeah, I forget about that. When I'm really sad. Well, that was definitely something that we were concerned about when we first started with the um, keynote. Started working on the keynote, where I was like, you know, I've got some problems, but I've got zero solutions. And you know, the more we think about it, the like we touched on it kind of briefly. Like I made a connection in the um, keynote to the finance industry how like there's two different ways that finance is regulated. And one of the ways is it directly comes into their profits, right? Um, if they don't catch fraud. So I was specifically talking about fraud. So in, in the analog, the fraud is the hate speech or like 
the child abuse or the, you know, whatever, minor sexualization. Like, these are the things that are not the content that you want to have on your site, so we can call it fraud um, mm-hmm. for the analog. It, it, like, we touched on it so vaguely, but the more I think about it, the more I'm like, yep, external regulation, that's the way to go. So there's the internal regulation where they regulate it because it cuts into their profits. Then there's the external regulation where there's com- consumer protections. I think there should be analogous consumer protections for social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Alex, did you have something to say about this? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about how we get there and <laughs> how I get, how we get there is, I mean, the things that I think, I mean, I'm, you know, I, the kind of, I was politically raised in the labor movement. So, I mean, <laughs> the kind of ways that we get there is with collective action. Right. And I mean, I mean, in the kind of campaigns that we've seen be effective against YouTube are often the kind of resistances that we see that come from um, tech workers, but also tech workers that are solidar- that are having solidarity with content moderator tech workers, so cross-class mm-hmm. solidarity. We've also seen actually the kind of ways in which creators as a type of worker have come together. And so there's actually a lot of folks who are influencers on Instagram or YouTube and and yeah, when they advocate for themselves, sometimes this gets things. So we talk about life with Mac and the video, but also like, oh, yeah. but also, you know, we've also seen changes that happen on a policy level when uh, LGBT creators get together. You know, YouTube had a pretty bad problem censoring trans videos and transition videos, for instance. Mm-hmm. And, um, when we see, um, we see creators come together because that is, in some sense, a type of platform labor. And so, you know, I think there's a way in which there's these different groups that have, that can develop different solidaristic structures. And I think that's a really important to foreground, I think, in any kind of discussion of tech. A lot of things, what we think about in our conversation around tech has to deal with, like, privacy. And I, you know, privacy is important. Let's not neglect privacy, but privacy as the way it's thought about in the U.S., is very much about individual individual acts, and mm-hmm. and we always and we tend to see more effective and more consequential conversations when there's multiple different people and multiple different positions um, banding together and taking actions in solidarity. We saw that at Google with Project Maven in the protest against Project Maven and Project Dragonfly. We mm-hmm. saw like an inside-outside strategy when. Google try to reconstitute an, an external ethics board that had the homophobic and transphobic member of the Heritage Foundation on it. The, the director. I forgot about that. That was just like <sighs> last that year. That is so interesting. <laughs> their attempt at ethics. <laughs> yeah, their attempt at ethics. And there was, you know, real ethicists on it, you know, and I want to shout out uh, uh, Lucia Floridi, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He was a popular uh, kind of a famous AI uh, ethicist. He was the only one of them who took a stand uh, in in um, actually resigning his post there. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. other, other the heritage people, person. Yeah, when the heritage person joined, other people, however, did not. But that took a lot of agitation, both intern inside of Google and outside of Google. And there was some nice kind of cross. Uh, 
kind of cross ground solidarities. And I mean, tying it back to the current moment, you know, finding the solidarities that we have here, both with internal Google employees and external ones uh, and external people and kind of in the, the tech, tech and, 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 and broader communities. Um, Google is an interesting place because it's been a place that has a history of employee activism. Um, mm -hmm. Is maybe one of the places that has sort of some of the most visible employee activism, but they've also used that opportunity to increase repression. There's this concept yes, within sure. social movement scholarship called the protest repression nexus. This is a very annoying name, but it is. Um, but what it means is like this interaction between states and protesters. But in this mm. sense, it is a sort of interaction between companies in internal dissonance as the company is sort of, you know, sitting aside the state as like a powerful actor. And so we're seeing these more these kinds of repressions. These kind of crackdowns on, oh. on Dr. Tamit Jabru. Oh, sorry to, oh, sorry. sorry to interrupt you. It, it cut out for a little bit. Oh, no, no, no. It, it, it cut out for a little bit. So if you don't mind, oh. just going back a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. sorry. I was just on a rant. Just like 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. So no, no, it's really interesting. Go back on the Let's go back to the protest repression nexus. And we've seen this kind of increase yeah. of repression, whether that's, well, that's not like in the case of Google, any kind of like repression, you know, they're not sending armed militias after protesters, but they are targeting them for uh, in, inconsequential acts like sending an email or leaking or whistleblowing things that are the ethical move when uh you know when the employer is not willing to actually listen um and so uh we're seeing that escalation and then we're it's sort of a playbook that is they're ramping up and they've been fortifying themselves internally um and with you know being within google they've they've uh instituted a number of things like instituting community guidelines and shutting down the, the like the company all hands and i think it's sort of now the sort of it, i mean the the sort of way I see forward, and I mean, that's sort of the thing that I think I has come back to being someone again raised with this labor, labor, labor uh, history is is solidarity. You know, solidarity yes. is sort of the thing that I think is where we gotta go, and uh, and and uh, it's a hard, it's a harder path to follow, but it's the one that makes you know that makes this kind of change sustainable. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is uh, not super related, but why did they cancel the all hands? How is that helping? Uh, all hand just means the whole company meets, like yeah, the whole the whole company meets. So like they, you know, they kind of threw it. You know, they kind of threw. They said, uh, you know, there's too many people, uh, you know, to do a proper all hands, and um, and then they'd say like. Uh, um you know what else did they say they were like um you know our all hands questions are never about the subject matter they'd always bring out some product person and they're like you know and so then like you know let's you know let's uh go and like we're gonna have separate town halls or about community culture and of course they haven't had any <laughs> like they only have some when the meeting they actually had today had no uh, no feedback mechanisms. The two leaders within research uh, only had a conversation amongst themselves 
for 30 minutes. And then they gave it to an external diversity consultant to field questions. And she even field questions, she uh, uh, told us to meditate. <laughs> incredible, incredible galaxy. Like, wow, I was like, unbelievable. Like you can't make like, oh wow, it's just it's just stuff out of a out of a sitcom. Like I, it is I, out it, of an abuser's playbook too. Like yeah, maybe yeah. you're the one overreacting. Did maybe you think you of that? <laughs> maybe you need to meditate and take some deep breaths. Maybe and, if you yeah. try mindfulness meditation, you will stop noticing the boot on your neck. Have you considered that? <laughs> I I was Maliha, I can't. It was, oh, I was shaking in rage oh. and, you know, I, my, like, my heart goes out to, to like all the members of the Black Googler network who are also shaking in rage when they were, when they got a chance to speak in the call. And so, yeah, it just infuriating, infuriating, just absolute, absolute, like, absolute, and you all were forced ne to sit there and listen to it? Absolute neoliberal diversity garbage. Like, mm. yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, what could you do? Uh, and all the questions were just furious, you know? Like, so, you, you know, not only will, you know, not only does this industry sort of like, I mean, not only does this industry go ahead and disrespect its black employees and its, the employees of color and queer employees, it will lean back and give you a diversity training <laughs> and tell you to breathe. I can't believe it. Yeah. And also just, just in terms of the demographics of the folks who are hired in the first place That's is already right. like that in itself is reprehensible. That's, that's right. That, that's right. The demographics Google has right now 3.6%, 3.7% black employees going up from 3.3% last year, barely going up each year. Um, you know, Black women within the company consistently rate the lowest satisfaction rates, kind of like something like 50% say they have any kind of measure of like yeah. satisfaction with their jobs. And I should say also... Sounds like, higher than I would have expected too. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, even the I should also say, like, just to, you know, kind of the shout out and and what the kind of, t like, work that in the team that Tanit's built, like, the, everybody on the team, it's kind of the most diverse racially gender, sexual orientation, gender identity team I've ever worked on anywhere outside yeah. of, you know, and in and, and that sort of, you know, kind of like an outlier but it's also like the kind of disrespect that they put on on her also kind of light echoes in the kind of the team that 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 she built. I mean, she she created this team, or she and Meg created this team with like you guys were curated, right? And they picked like the cream of the crop for their team, which is very. So it's like if they throw your boss away like that, I'm sure that reverberates on you guys. Like, mm. okay, well, what am I not allowed to say? Yeah. One thing I will say, um, 
my okay so i had two wellness coaches when i started at youtube and then by the time i ended i only had one but one of my wellness coaches uh said the quiet thing out loud she was straight up like oh yeah when you look around and you see that there's hardly any white people uh doing content moderation here it's because um white people generally would not be willing to do this kind of work for such low pay. Mm. Mm. And I was like, oh, why are you telling me this? Because <laughs> uh, in that moment, I was like, so disheartened and demotivated. And I like, I had no choice but to stay in the situation. I can appreciate it now looking back that she said this to me, um, because I'm sure that that wasn't something that, um, you know, would be kosher for her to say normally. She's, but it, this is the work we have to live with. Um, and these are the like, sorry, it could, you could have for a second. Oh, my bad. Um, oh, no. I was just talking about the fact or the fact that she said this to me um, <laughs> was a little piece of solidarity, which I really appreciated. But also, like, what diversity looks like um, at the bottom of that hierarchy compared to higher up where Alex, mm. like, Alex's team is. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. diversity at her level, um, it looks like curation. Diversity mm-hmm. at my level, it it looks like menial labor. Mm. Well, I mean, this is, I mean, okay. I guess I don't know the definition of menial. Does it have to mean physical? It doesn't, right? (laughs) Okay, cool, cool. Yes, menial labor. (laughs) Yes, menial intellectual labor. Yeah. I mean, it also just makes me think about like domestic workers, you know, folks working inside the home and how those are often like jobs that are so like necessary and yet so low paying um and just the folks who end up doing it are a lot of non-white and a lot of women yeah and some folks are doing that work and it's like the really grueling necessary work a lot of the time to make so diverse (laughs) so diverse uh in a way in that i don't know like white people will call a whole room of asian people from the same country diverse do you know what I mean? <sighs> Is that a weird thing to say? Like you'll walk, no. like a white person will walk into a room of Chinese people all from the same city in China and they'll be like, what a diverse environment. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, wait, this is, what yeah. does diversity mean to you? Diversity means race for white people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah race at all. Or like we live in California and California is like a majority minority state. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is a majority minority like we're the majority and they're still calling us the yeah yeah the minority yeah yeah (sighs) the audacity the (laughs) caucasity yeah oh well i really appreciate um talking with you two and i thought if we can either start to wrap up, um, if there's anything else you wanted to share that we didn't quite get to, or anything else that was like also in the video that you have like learned since then or wanted to add. Um. Um, okay, I'm looking over your questions real quick. Um, yeah. I would say the, um, hmm. We would push a lot harder if we'd felt the same way when we were writing it as we do now on the Mm. solutions, because some of the solutions become really clear. Um, 
yeah, like I said, with to me, it's a letter to the women and allies. It's it, like, you know, here's this, like, we came up with this analysis on our own, and then here's somebody else with a much higher level perspective of what's going on, and she's mm-hmm. saying the same thing as us. It's clear, external pressure is the way to go. Like, that's, uh, any work that comes out of this content moder- or, yeah, content moderation keynote is gonna push a lot harder on the fact external regulation is the way to go. Like, you know, we're, we're, <sighs> yeah, um, yeah but you can't rely on the government but you have to push the government and try to get them to yeah work. yeah Absolutely. yeah so with regards to like um what our listeners for this podcast can do um i guess it's like if you have the power to help work towards solidarity in these industries let's try to build something together mm-hmm. i just want to give a shout out to different kind of solidaristic organizations here um you know shout out to tech workers coalition um shout out to data for black lives shout out to um collective action in tech uh shout out to logic magazine you heard tech worker they're starting a a tech worker school for organizing Mm. um find it awesome yeah yeah to search logic school um that's that's probably dope i've seen the um folks um i've seen the folks involved and it's just really amazing curriculum the the person that runs it so what's that way wang she's uh they're dope um yeah it's a 12-week free course so yeah. please go apply yeah yeah so um shout out to who else who else to shout out malia who, who's your shout out? real facebook oh, well real fa- i was gonna shout out alex hannah for what? all her hard work <laughs> i'm gonna shout out maliha ahmed being amazing um amazing cat co-parent um <laughs> and yeah i mean if you're involved with worker organizing in your area you know find a way find these groups and i mean i think that's the way that power starts shifting away from tech companies and to you know consumers and users and and workers yeah especially because i think uh this is like an online radio station but the majority of your listeners are probably in the bay right yes i i don't honestly i don't know how i don't know (laughs) I don't know, um, but there are definitely, I think, folks who listen in the Bay Area and also folks, I mean, wherever you can get an internet connection, you can listen in for sure. Yeah, um, but yeah, in the Bay, this is like a particularly important um, issue to tackle. Um, also, like other places are starting up to be like this, like um, Austin, Texas is going to be the next big hub of tech um, as this place mm. is getting too expensive. So let's move to Austin and start over and pay them less. Mm. Like, that's literally the mind. <laughs> That's literally the mindset. So, like, um, yeah, it's uh, let's create something that other people can like. We're already like for our keynote or for our solutions. We can like a lot. Most of our keynotes come from other places where, um, you know, we stand on other people's shoulders. Let's uh, create something that other people can stand on our shoulders too. It's mm, beautiful. Amen <laughs> to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you both so much. I've learned a lot, a hell of a lot. 
uh, from the two of you. So thank you for sharing your experiences, also your personal experiences and what you've learned as well. And I hope that uh, listeners will, I'm sure, also take away a lot of uh, information as well as uh, action items to take. Uh, very inspiring. So thank you both. Roman, you've been such a lovely interviewer. Thank you for having this wonderful platform and zero censorship. We really appreciate it. Oh, sure. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, Roman. Have a great one. You too. (laughs) Okay. So coming up next, just going to play a lot of music, maybe about eight songs, six, eight, six to eight songs in a row. And if you are interested in the names of the songs and or bands, please check out the Weekly Rev, just weeklyrev.org. There'll be a link to the playlist on Spotify so you can find all those songs there. And big thanks again to Alex and Leha for sharing so much great information with us. And we'll be back next week. Please do check out weeklyrev.org for previous episodes as well as mutinyradio.fm. There are great shows there every day of the week. So please do take a look. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll be back next week. Enjoy the music. Next time And I'll do it right
Yeah. 